0: Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Today's episode is sponsored by Major Lindsay in Africa, expert navigation of legal talent for 35 years. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest represents domestic and foreign real estate companies and institutional clients. He has significant experience in real estate acquisitions, sales, joint ventures, restructuring, and finance. He joined DLA Piper as a partner and chair of the New York real estate practice in April of 2016 after a 20-year career at Wilkie. Gene Pinover, welcome to Left Foot. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Gene, which of your personal strengths or habits have allowed you to be successful in developing your business?
1: I like work, and I think that shows in every interaction that I have with people. I enjoy people. I like learning about people, and I like trying to understand who they are and how they think. It's part of the joy of being a lawyer particularly a transactional lawyer. I like business generally. In addition to being a partner at DLA, I am on the board of a big public company and I see business decisions being made in a different kind of way than normal lawyers see. Those are kind of the fundamental things that drive me when I come into the office.
0: Have you found that there are a lot of lawyers that are working in real estate that have a good business sense or do you think that's somewhat unique?
1: Well, there are a lot of really good real estate lawyers, and most of them share many of the characteristics that I described. They like the business and they like the people. Many lawyers are totally focused, though, on technical issues and getting everything to be exactly the way they want it to be. That's not something that works well, I think, in real estate business. You have to have a sense of give and take. You have to appreciate that other people's points of view are uh, critical to getting a deal done.
0: It's a great point. When you think about developing business, and of course, now you're in a new firm, have you sat down? Do you regularly sit down and come up with a strategy for the year? How you're going to grow your book of business for your firm? If you do, what does that look like? And if you don't, what do you do as an alternative to sitting down and coming up with a strategy?
1: I'm charged with coming up with a strategy for the group overall and for connecting this group to our vast International Network. The firm has 4,500 lawyers, which makes it a different kind of animal than any firm that I've been in before. So what I try to do is talk to them about understanding the needs of their client to get them to focus on the fact that we are all service providers. And as service providers, it's about getting the client's needs met in a way that makes the client understand that they are the most important thing on your agenda. That's key to being a good lawyer. Every client you ever had, you will lose. You lose them for reasons that you have nothing to do with, like their company gets sold or your contacts leave that client. You have to always be thinking about who's going to be the next client, where their business is coming from and where they can make a difference.
0: Talk about that a little bit more. We talked about the fact that the client should feel like they are the only client, the only client that we're focused on. Leading others, how do you encourage being client focused? Does that mean making sure that there's regularly scheduled calls with clients, that there's quarterly meetings on site with clients? What does that look like?
1: I try to communicate to each one of my people that they are in the business of taking business from other lawyers. We are not usually interested in taking clients on who don't already have a good lawyer. Something has to be special about what you're offering. And usually clients can't tell the difference between technically superb performance and very good performance and most lawyers are very good so you have to be able to sell yourself in a different kind of way and what that involves is making your clients feel that you will go the extra mile for them if they call you at 11 o'clock at night that you're going to be there for them if they have a problem that's outside of your area you're going to find somebody who is an expert in that area and bring it to them you're going to do whatever it takes to satisfy their needs as a client, the very core of what makes the difference between lawyers who are just going to work every day and trying to get through the day and lawyers who are trying to build a business.
0: Great point. So you mentioned earlier clients that are here in the States. Having worked internationally, there are some slight differences in, yes. how, in how I would advise others to talk with clients and work with clients. If you could summarize some of those differences of how you are working or how you would suggest a lawyer work with an international client.
1: Yeah, I've spent a, a great deal of time working with cross-border transactions. Most non-American and non-British lawyers are very reticent to give any business advice and they're not ready to walk outside of the limited area that they've been engaged on. And they don't come up with proactive solutions to problems too often. They answer yes or no. American lawyers and British lawyers are, I think, treasured because they have the common business judgment and they have a sense of what the client is looking for and they try to help the client get to the result in creative ways that may may be outside of the box. So it's a difference between American and British lawyers and many foreign lawyers, when I'm working with the international lawyers, I try to get them to understand the way we're going to approach clients and the way we're going to try to develop the relationships with clients. And they generally like it becoming more like the British lawyers generally and the American lawyers, from my experience. We are in the process of developing that. And then what we do is we try to marry skill sets between clients in Asia and in America and in Europe and America with our talents that we have here. So we will bring people from our office in if it's the right thing, or we'll find others in the organization who have the special expertise that the client is needing. I think it comes back to this notion of service. If you really believe that your job is to help your client achieve their goals, you're going to be successful at doing that and using whatever tools you have that are available to you.
0: Thank you for sharing that. What we've heard from a lot of large firm lawyers, you know, AM 100 lawyers, is that the business knowledge that lawyers are valued because they're coming in with a industry expertise and niche expertise and going beyond what the law says and how the law is being applied. I guess my question is in dealing with these international lawyers, cross-border situations, are the lawyers comfortable talking outside of the law? And is that something they've had to get more comfortable with? It sounds like that's the case. And then is your firm or did your prior firm have anything formal to help get these lawyers more comfortable speaking outside of what would be their standard area
1: of expertise, the law per se? That's a really interesting and a good question. We've had recently, we've started a group of meetings between our international and our domestic lawyers to talk about these issues and to talk about specific client relationships where there could be a connection. We do this with technology. So we do bring everybody together occasionally, but we actually get together on the equivalent of Skype much, much more often. That's one way that we try to communicate better among the offices. We all understand that clients come to individual lawyers because of a variety of reasons. And those lawyers treasure those relationships and are going to be very careful about anybody they recommend to come into that relationship. So we have to win the confidence Evidence, not only of the client, but of everybody else in our firm that we're really sincere about putting out the effort and really going the extra mile for every client, not just your own clients. And that's a big piece of being successful on a big firm.
0: So, Jean, uh, tactical best practices on both sides. Just say I was a partner in your firm and you were going to give me advice on making sure I'm both connected with my client from a business perspective, and also representing myself and my skills and my knowledge well with the other lawyers in the firm. Any advice you'd give?
1: The most important thing, I think, is to get to know your clients, to hang out with them, whether that's meals or different kinds of events. Get to know them and get to know their families. Go to their office. As often as you can, I find that when you're in somebody's office, unbelievably interesting things go on. You often walk out with a matter that you didn't even think there was, you didn't even know about and you didn't think was going on. But you're there and you're talking about it and all of a sudden you're in the middle of it. I think that being available and going out and and getting into the mix with them, going to conferences where they're talking about their business and hearing what they have to say. Clients are generalists and they generally have views and interest in what's going on overall in the marketplace. So for instance, right now, We have a interesting moment. Political insecurity is going to have an impact on everybody's thinking, and we need to be sensitive to the fact that that's going to drive a lot of decision making by the clients. Whether they're going to hold back for a while before they commit, being broad about your thinking. And bringing those insights to the client and hearing what they have to say is a way to educate yourself and to have them understand that you're thinking.
0: Going back to the cross-border, the international offices, we have a lot of international listeners on my foot. And I can say from my own experience working with actuaries and pension specialists throughout the world, very often they weren't as comfortable commenting on things that they didn't know well, Mm -hmm. right? That they weren't sure. I have to agree in the UK, people were a little bit more open to taking a little bit more of a risk, making a statement that was more opinion than fact. In your dealings, have you found that that might be the reason that being more opinion oriented, especially as a professional, being in the professions that that might be some transition we're seeing and and likely something that US lawyers will have to do more of, especially in this time of less certainty?
1: I think it certainly is a piece of it. Many lawyers just know their practice and just do their practice and go home at the end of the day. And if that's what your goal is and that's what you want to do, you shouldn't consider becoming a business developer. That's not what your skill set is. What your skill set is, is to generate good work. That's that's an important piece of it. But if you really want to be somebody who is engaging with clients in a way that gets more business to come to your firm, that will open doors where they'll be interested in inviting you to meet with their groups, meet with their board which is an important thing to do, participate with them in the decision-making as opposed to being an implementer of decisions, then you have to get out of the comfort zone of just doing your specialty and get into the business of being part of their organization.
0: And now a word from our sponsor. The road to success starts with the right guides. The team at Major Lindsay in Africa is passionate about helping corporate legal departments and law firms build great teams while assisting lawyers and legal professionals in following their career aspirations. Let Major Lindsay in Africa help you explore new horizons. For more information, go to mlaglobal.com. Gene, let's reflect on, if you would, reflect on a success story where you were able to either obtain a new client or a new piece of business with a current client that you, know, you look back on and say, wow, that was a pretty exciting, interesting moment.
1: Well, I was thinking about that question and it's a fun question to think about because it's thinking about your successes. Probably 10 years ago, I was brought in as outside counsel to a major shopping center developer who was in the midst of real difficulties. And we worked through those difficulties. And my introduction to the client was a person that I had known for 20 years before that in his former employment. And then he became the president of this company. So we worked for years and years on multiple transactions, closing acquisitions, joint ventures, financings, international transactions. Really, it was fascinating. And then for a variety of reasons, the person that had brought me into the company was fired. And I thought for sure I was going to go out with him. But the new guy who ran the company, who had watched me and who I'd gotten to know as part of my process, as I was describing, of getting into the guts of the company and being part of their decision-making kept me on. Ultimately, the uh, company was sold, and we did um, many, many transactions with him as part of the sale transaction. Ultimately, that engagement ended. The second president took on a new company, which was again in trouble. And he righted the ship there. And I worked with him for five years on that process of doing all of the deals that led to writing the ship and getting this thing going. So... It was a real success in terms of, A, knowing the guy who was the first president, being part of the way he thought about his business, and then following him into this new company, picking up a new client, basically, the new CEO, and working with him, dealing with the sale transactions, and then into a new company. I calculated close to $10 billion of deals for these two companies over the course of 10 years, and it was an amazing experience. And I now consider both of these guys good friends of mine, and I still see them and have regular contact with them, the former president and the new CEO. Interesting story.
0: It's a great story. And obviously, they had a lot of confidence in your ability. I kind of look at that as trust. Books that came out a few years ago about the speed of trust. Trust comes over time. It comes over good work. It comes over those personal connections, being able to make those over time getting to know these gentlemen, obviously they trusted you. They called upon you to assist them at times when they were like very much looking for someone they could trust and were challenged in their business. Is that a teachable thing?
1: I know a lot of people who say that you cannot teach business development. You can talk about it till you're blue in the face, but there's some people that have it and there's some people that don't. I'm a believer that you can teach people, but there is a strong group of folks that just don't see it. And I'm not sure I'm right. I just believe it. And I try to live that.
0: I agree with you. I think it's a skill set, not a personality trait. Mm -hmm. If you're not a person people can trust, I think you're going to have a tough time getting clients and because that will only last so long. But if you're a trusting person and you're thorough and you follow up and you do some of those things. You have to be somewhat comfortable with communicating with people, being able to talk to people. Of course, today we have so many other avenues in which you can do that. So if you're not a very comfortable person, generally, you can write or speak or do other things, right?
1: There's something that's very important that that brings up is that you have to be true to yourself. You have to be honest with your clients And you have to be able to tell them what you really think. And that has been a hallmark of the way I've practiced. And it's cost me some clients because I didn't like what they were doing. I didn't like the directions that they were going. They were skating too close to the line. They were doing whatever it was. It was just not in keeping with the way I feel business should be done. Maybe I've grown more opinionated as I've grown older, but I've kicked clients out of my firms and said, I don't want to do business with you. And I've had clients don't call a second time because they don't like the way I want to practice law. But that's okay. There's plenty of different folks out there. I have a saying that every client ends up with the lawyer they deserve. So if you hold yourself in high esteem and the way you practice is something you think is good, you'll end up with the clients that you should have.
0: You never want to put yourself in a situation where you're not able to do work that you can fully be comfortable with. I think in business, we all make those decisions. You're asked to bend a definition that has implications. Let's say it that way. You have to make a stand. Are you willing to bend it or not?
1: There's a lot of ways to to make your point. And if you really are certain of your point of view and you want to make a point, you can make it effectively and your clients will understand exactly what you think is right. And more often than not, the clients will agree because they came to you because that's what they want from you. If they don't, that's okay. They'll go to somebody else and they'll be well served.
0: The market's changing. The, yeah. the market's changing because of recent events, political events. It's been changing for a while. There has been a real focus on professional services fees and how people are obtaining services that prior to that were somewhat not looked at as the areas where people want to be looking for more efficiencies or lower costs. As the market's change, what do you see as things that you've had to do, your firms have had to do, your practice have had to do to really adjust to those changing market conditions?
1: Part of that, of course, is foreign clients, foreign to America clients may have a different view about costs than American clients and may be much tougher on trying to get as low a cost service as they can. I've never been really good at managing the, the client's desires for cost. I tried to keep my practice In an area of expertise where cost isn't the primary motivator, skill and execution are. So I've stayed away mostly from what we call commodity service work, where a client wants to close 50 loans and you get, you know, you give them a price for each loan, regardless of what time you have to spend to close those loans. So I tried to stay away from that, but I I realized that that's a big piece of some people's business and I understand it and certainly think it works for them. So on the cost side, I've never been really great about that. But I have always tried to manage towards efficiency. That is something you have to be honest with yourself about is whether you're producing the work that you have to produce as efficiently as you can. And when you organize your teams to execute projects, you have to be really considerate of the client's ultimate focus on efficiency of getting things done. Just recently I closed a large shopping center transaction where the cost was half what the client was expecting. It was great. And I was delighted for it, for that result. But I've closed others where we were twice as much as the client expected. And I thought in some of those cases, I would have to cut my fees. In some of those cases, I thought we were really efficient and I wouldn't cut the fees. So I never have really lost clients over fees. But I understand there's a lot of concern in the industry about it, particularly dealing with foreign, non-domestic U.S. clients who just expect a result at a particular cost that sometimes just can't be achieved.
0: Interesting points, because I think you know, with a focus on efficiency, you can waylay those conversations around fees and, and ultimate cost associated with legal fees. That said, I've worked with a lot of in-house counsel at this point and really yeah. talked to a lot of in-house counsel, and they are definitely being asked to ensure there is efficiency, which of course translates... And Tiffy's.
1: As a board member of this big public company, we turn over very important, very significant transactions to counsel. And I sometimes know the counsel and I understand the deal that was cut and I feel for them. It can be very tough, but that's the business that we're all in.
0: And I'm sure they want to do good work in light of whatever budget that's been agreed to. One
1: thing which I think is a very, very big problem that charging for time has resulted in is lawyers running to ground. My way of dealing with transactions is in terms of efficiency is to try to identify what's really important. Have the client understand what it is that you're going to find is really important and get it and give the other side what the other side thinks is really important. And then you can move through transactions and not get bogged down in the peripheral stuff. We're not creating form files. We're working on transactions and we have to always bear that in mind.
0: That's a great point. Make sure there is focus on those critical things and those that need to be done. You said that you delivered a result for a client and it was less than they had expected. How did you know what they expected? Did you ask them? Did you have a budget? Or was that something that post delivery, they said, boy, I thought this was going to cost
1: much more? Yeah, afterwards and not before. I said, to them, gee, that deal, that deal really came out pretty well. It was a very tough deal. It were lots of important issues. And there was a lot of negotiation. So I asked them, how do you think it went? What would you think of my associate, my colleague working on it? I wanted to hear what their views were. And they said, well, to tell you the truth, we thought that fellow was great. He was unflappable. He got what we needed and it cost half of what we had budgeted.
0: That's fantastic. And I'm glad that you asked. I have to say, we've had a few folks say that they're doing chairman visits to different clients. We're hearing that firms are taking a much more client customer service type approach, and that's really helped them to retain some of those clients where in the past, it might've appeared that they didn't care as much.
1: It's very true. I've done, done that with important clients. What the chairman's job is in those conversations is to find out, what the client really thinks about working with the law firm, what the strengths are, what the weaknesses are, how services can be improved. It's not just a meet and greet. It has to be thought through and the chairman has to be ready to have those conversations and then talk with the lawyers, evolve with that client to make the services better. And then the chairman of the client will be interested in talking again with your chairman, but he won't if it's just a meet and greet.
0: Absolutely. There has to be that strong Q&A, good use of their time, and then also that follow Follow up is so critical. Gene, I'm sure in your position, many aspiring lawyers come to you and talk to you about business development. What is the advice that you give those that want to be involved in business development for their firms? What advice do you give them?
1: Frankly, I'm very loath to give advice. When I have to give advice, I tell them that working hard alone does not breed success. You have to know where you're going. Have a plan. Understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Understand yourself enough to know where your strengths are and your weaknesses are. Plot a course which is going to get you to a place that you want to get to. That will save you a lot of wasted hours and a lot of wasted effort. Also tell them to get into the whole business, not just focus on the specialty, to understand the clients better. I put together a business development dinner with a restaurateur, Danny Myers. He wrote a book called Setting the Table, which is one of the best business books I've ever read. And my partners were very skeptical that a guy who serves food could teach them, who are serving this highly intellectual, very complex stuff, what to do. And Danny said a few things. None of my restaurants are in the top five for, for food itself, but every year, Several of my restaurants are in the top five. And how do I do it? We do it because we give the clients something that's special, which is service. They know that we're going to go the extra mile, we're going to listen to them, and we're going to be able to get them what they really are looking for, which is more than just the legal product. It's having somebody who's really on their side. Everything about his business is built around this concept of service. When he hires people, they come in, they have a three-month trial period, and he's looking for people who like to serve, who enjoy getting to meet the customers and enjoy being part of the Of having the customers have a very special evening. And when you go into his restaurants and you look at the servers, you begin to realize that this isn't just happening. This is a very conscious, thoughtful process. And that's what I try to teach here is that part of what they're really communicating is about DLA's philosophy. And DLA's philosophy has to be that we'll go the extra mile, we'll really get the client what they need, and we care about them.
0: Very enlightening interview. Very much appreciate you sharing your thoughts, Gene, with our listeners. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot.
1: Pleasure speaking to you, Nicole, and hopefully other people will find this interesting.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot.